You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. Unfortunately, uh, we're talking about this idea of drinking the poison. Uh, contrary to the clip we just saw, when it comes to the poison of offense, we can't build up an immunity. While a poison of offense might not be physically fatal, it's almost always, always will destroy the soul. It's just what happens. And last week, Pastor Farrell, he, he mentioned the fact or brought this idea that you can't control the action of others. Life is going to happen. And when you're together with people long enough, there is going to be offense. You're going to, people are going to get their feelings hurt. Things are going to happen. And so the idea that offense is inevitable was very clear. However, even though we can't control what happens to us, we can control how we respond to that offense. We, can, we have a choice for how we're going to respond. So today we're going to take a little different approach to that same issue of offense. Um, back in the 90s, I don't know if you remember this, those of you who um, are a little older remember that back in the 90s, there was a series of corporate failures. Um, Some of you may remember the Lincoln Savings and Loan, Charles Keating and that group. That whole thing collapsed because of unethical behavior. Um, Enron, um, because of the fraud and things that were happening there. And and so what happened that was interesting is during the 90s, most corporations here in the United States, most of the major organizations added ethic components to what the, how they did business. So they had ethics statements of behavior. This is how we're going to behave. This is what we're going to do. Um, they, some of them even had ethic offices. In other words, they had personnel or staff dedicated to making sure we behave ethically. It did nothing. Um, all you have to do is read the headlines to realize that the, you still see unethical behavior. Uh, at, at, you know, we have examples like Bernie Madoff and others where, where that individuals within corporations behave unethically. So here's what the studies have showed. <clears throat> Just saying that you need to be ethical doesn't change the behavior. But in order to actually affect behavior, you have to be very specific. You have to be able to say falsifying financial records is wrong. Don't do that. Or creating false bank accounts for people is wrong. Don't do that. Then you can affect and change behavior. Um, So with that in mind, I suspect us saying don't drink the poison of offense isn't sufficient for you not to drink the poison of offense. Um, that will actually, we still will actually drink it. So this morning, we're actually going to take a little more specific. We're actually going to look at a ver- an example in Scripture, um, and we're going to kind of di- dissect it a bit and see what we can learn and make application in our own life. Um, and Cameron actually alluded to it in his devotion um, as far as uh, setting up communion. Um, so thank you for that, Cameron. Um, in Genesis chapter 37, we're going to read verses 1 through 11. It's the story of Joseph. Uh, and uh, so many of you are familiar with that story. So start with verse 1. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. Canaan. This is the account of Jacob. <clears throat> or basically we're saying this is the story of the line of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilchah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel, which is another name for Jacob, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made him a richly ornamented robe for him. 
When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. And then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told this, when he told his father, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to you, uh, down to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. And the story of Joseph, uh, as we, uh, that it was recorded for us to look at and observe and see um, how uh, people behaved when they're offended and how you actually can insert yourself in the midst of that. So Lord, help us to understand that today. Give us uh, wisdom and discernment. And Father, may your spirit um, help us to hear what we need to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, now, if you're familiar with the story, uh, the, the, as the story goes on, you know that the brothers actually consider killing Joseph. They have a plan. We're going to kill him. Um, but they end up instead selling him into slavery. Clearly within this story, we see that the brothers didn't just take a few sips of the poison of offense. They drank the whole bottle. They swallowed it, Everything. And as we dig into this, I just have a couple of general thoughts about the poison of offense. Um, First thought is this. There's always going to be a level of subjectivity. I mean, think about that. I mean, you you mean just you have if you're married, your spouse, you realize that, you know, one reads something and that really upsets them. And you realize like, what's the big deal? You know, or somebody says something and they just they just kind of laugh at it and move on. And others like it paralyzes them for days, you know, so there's this level of subjectivity. What affects you doesn't necessarily affect me. What affects me doesn't necessarily affect you. And, and so that will always be the case. But in, because of that subjectivity, we must be willing to look into our own selves and say, why is this creating such an emotional response in me? Why is this, why are these emotions being stirred up? And because of that subjectiveness, we need to be able to do that if we're going to be able to resolve those um, uh, and resist that poison of offense. So there's a level of sub- sub- subjectivity. Um, the second observation I have is this. There's always a reasonableness to the offense. I mean, think about Joseph. Joseph was a real jerk. I mean, he was a brat. He's a spoiled brat, wasn't he? And arrogant. I mean, so there's a reasonableness. I'm having trouble enunciating today. There was a reasonableness to the brothers not liking Joseph. Now, they took it too far, but it wasn't out of 
it may have been distorted a bit, but it wasn't totally unreasonable given the circumstances. You know, we know that Joseph, he's 17. It tells us here in this passage. And sometimes a lack of maturity, uh, 17-year-olds have a, uh, uh, they have a lack of maturity in navigating relationships. That's just part of the age that comes with that. And we get that sense about Joseph in this story. We also know that Jacob had 13 children, 12 sons and a daughter. Um, Joseph is number 12 in the pecking order. So of the 13 kids, Joseph is number 12. Benjamin comes later. So here, and what do we know about the Old Testament, the, 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 that time period, the hierarchy of the birth order? I mean, we see this with David. When, when, his, when, when Samuel wants to call the sons of anoint the next king of Israel, David's dad says, oh, don't worry about him. He's not here. He's the youngest, which means he's the least significant. So for Joseph to be walking around and telling people, you're all going to bow down to me, was really culturally inappropriate, but just relationally offensive and just was an arrogant thing for him to do. There is some serious dysfunction going on in this family. Now, if unless you've actually kind of broken this apart a little bit and done a little bit of uh, research in, in other parts of the story, the two wives that are mentioned there, Bilka and Zilpah, were actually not wives. Those are the two maidservants. So interestingly enough here, remember Jacob is the one that went off to his uncle Laban's house and he's, he found he wanted to marry Rachel and Laban said, all right, you work with me for seven years and you'll have her. Seven years go by and Laban tricks him, gives him Leah. I don't know how all that got confused. But anyway, he ends up marrying Leah, ends up work, um, working for Laban another seven years to get Rachel. Leah starts having kids. Rachel doesn't, gives her Jacob a, one of her maidservants. She has that, and actually that was Zilpah. Leah starts, Leah gave her um, his maidservant. So we've got two maidservants in there. Anyways, a lot of all these dynamics going on here. Notice that it mentions the two maidservants as wives, not Rachel and Leah as their wives. These are the brothers that were getting really upset and they convinced the others to play along. But there was just some real dysfunction here. I mean, Jacob didn't even try to hide the fact that Joseph was his favorite. Now, as parents, there are seasons where I might like one of my kids better than the other because of behaviors. But the idea that I love one more than the other, that I prefer one more than the other, was just, it's just non, it's not conscionable. I just can't comprehend that idea. The fact that he openly favored Joseph was just inviting problems among the siblings, among his kids. So yes, it was reasonable for the brothers to be upset with Joseph. But rather than addressing the problems head on, the Joseph's brothers drank the poison of offense. Now, while some poisons can cause death almost instantly, like what we saw in the video clip, other poisons like the poison of offense have dangerous effect over time. It's kind of like uh, when you get a cut. And if you get a cut and you, you put some... Um, um, cleanser on it or, or some disinfectant on it and you put a bandaid on it and it heals and it gets better. Other times it doesn't get better and you see it's starting to get infected and it's starting to get worse and you notice if you don't deal with it and take care of it, the poison of offense is like that. If you don't deal with it and address it, it will fester, it will get worse, it will infect the rest of areas of your life. So with the poison of offense, we notice a few things. The first thing is that living with an offense breaks down relationships. 
Um, not too long ago, I was having uh, breakfast with someone and they told me, they said, you seem to be more distant, almost like you're avoiding me. And it really caught me off guard. I wasn't expecting that comment. But when I actually took a hard look at myself and just kind of assessed that, they were right. There had been something that had happened in the, in the recent past, and it kind of bothered me. I mean, not the point that I was angry and upset, but it just kind of didn't sit well with me. And rather than actually going to them and saying, hey, we need to talk about this, I just subconsciously, I just avoided them. I just didn't engage them. When I realized that, immediately I just, I said it right then, I said, I just apologize. I said, please forgive me for not caring enough about you and about our relationship to not have this conversation a long time ago. Whether they were unaware or whether they are unwilling, Joseph's brothers never addressed their jealousy with their father or with Joseph. They never addressed it. And it adversely affected their relationships. In fact, in verse 4, the passage we just read, their jealousy wouldn't even allow them to talk nicely to Joseph. I mean, imagine those family dinners. Man. One way to tell if the poison of offense is in your system is to take stock of your relationships. If someone comes to mind and it stirs an unpleasant emotion within you, it's possible the poison of offense is affecting you. But as the poison of offense works its way into our system, it doesn't just stop with breaking a relationship. When places of offense are not addressed, it feeds animosity. In verse 8, it says they hated him all the more. And I promise you, they felt completely justified in their hatred. They didn't have any regrets. They didn't feel, if you went and talked to them, they, they would justify and defend their hatred for Joseph. That's the way this works. It completely transforms our perspective. Just because we feel we have the right to be offended doesn't keep the poison of offense from spreading into other areas of our life. The issue with drinking the poison of offense has nothing to do with being right. You can, completely, you can be completely justified in how you feel and still suffer the additional consequences of drinking poison of offense. I love what uh, Pastor Farrell had to say. He said that um, hanging on to an offense is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. It just doesn't work that way. Another thing about hanging on to an offense is that the offense is transferable from one person to another. Um, not too long ago, I was with my father. Uh, we were in, actually, we were in Michigan, and we were driving in a part of town that neither one of us were familiar with. And... Um, our, exits, our exit was coming up, um, and um, unfortunately, uh, there was a lot of other people who wanted to get off at the exit as well, and there was a, a, a line was starting to form on the shoulder. Have you ever observed that or seen that where before you even, you're still on the freeway, before you even get to the exit, there's a line forming to get off on the shoulder. Well, before I realized what had happened, it was too late. You know, the, the end of the line to get off was now behind us. And, uh, you know, so I was like, oh, now we're going to do. Um, so we just slow up and we're trying to, you know, see if, all right, can we you know, find a gap? You know, someone let us in or something and hoping we could get up there. But as we approach the exit, as we're getting pretty close, not only did no one let us in, a woman 
actually took her car, moved her car out of line to block us, to keep us. So basically, we had to come to a stop in the middle of the road. Um, was she mad? She was, you could just see from the car, she was yelling and screaming. It's ironic, I didn't, I'd already prepared my, this part of my sermon, and then I actually listened to what Pastor Farrell, I didn't realize we both had these uh, driving stories of people getting mad at us. Um, I don't know what that says about us, but, uh, <laughs> um, uh, but she was mad. Uh, you can tell she was screaming. What was interesting, though, um, this person reached down into her seat and held up a handwritten sign that let us know in no uncertain terms what she thought about us. <laughs> Clearly, our actions, as innocent as they were, I mean, we, weren't tr- we weren't trying to cut in line. We weren't, you know, oh, we're not going to stand in line. We're just going to get in whenever we want. We, we just, we were not, we just, we were new to the area. We didn't know. We just made a mistake. And we'd have been happy to have gotten in line if we knew. And, but that innocence, as we saw it, grew. That, but our actions greatly offended her. So much so that anger and bitterness just spewed out of her. To me, this woman epitomizes someone who drank the poison of offense. Now, at first, I, w- I was offended by her behavior. It's like, really? Who do you think you are? I mean, really? Wait, this, I just, uh, pardon me. But very quickly, my emotion turned to one of humor. I was like, wait a minute. Who does this? I mean, think about that. How many encounters like this do you have to have for you to actually go home and make a sign to keep with you in your car? (laughs) Then my mood turned to one of sadness when I noticed a young girl about middle school age sitting in the back seat. And I had to wonder how many times has she observed her mom behave like this? And what is she learning about how to deal with anger and offense? And here's what I know. When you drink the poison of offense, it doesn't affect just you. Ultimately, it affects everyone around you too. Lastly, unaddressed offense can allow toxic thoughts to grow, leading us to ungodly actions. Later on in the story, Genesis chapter 37 um, when Joseph is coming to them, the brothers had kind of hatched their plan. They said, here comes that dreamer. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what, come, then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Now, although the brothers didn't kill Joseph, they did end up selling him as a slave. Now, we might be tempted to think, you know, I'd never do anything like that. I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty extreme. And I hope that's true. <laughs> I, hope, I hope that none of you have that capacity to do something that, that uh, evil. But here's the thing. They didn't come to this point overnight. This was not just that he offended me once. And this has been growing for months, if not years of their lives. And while I hope none of us are capable of taking an offense to such an extreme, I know that each of us is capable of saying and doing things that would be displeasing to God. Things we might not have thought possible at one point in time. Now, the irony of the story is how it plays out. Joseph ends up in Egypt as a slave in prison. Imagine that, a slave in prison. He interprets a dream about a famine, he ends up becoming second in command, you know, in all of Egypt. 
the brothers, not knowing what's happening with Joseph, um, come down to Egypt to get food because there's famines affected them. And so they're just five. They came in to get food. And ultimately, they connect. They meet each other. And Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. <clears throat> get a load of Joseph's response to his brothers. In Genesis 50, we read this. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Imagine that. If anyone had a right to be offended, it was Joseph. I mean, I could hear him saying this, you know, uh, yeah, okay, I acknowledge I was an immature, spoiled brat, but you sold me into slavery. I mean, that's pretty extreme. Whereas Joseph's brothers drank the poison of offense, Joseph poured it out. From Joseph, we see the great possibilities that occur when we pour out the poison of offense when presented to us. It frees you from bitterness and the need for revenge. God will forgive you and heal your heart. It positions you to be a blessing to others. And it opens your life to God's work and to what God has planned for your life. All those things we see happening as a result of what Joseph did and his response. So on the one hand, you've got brothers. Let me say it this way. You've got Joseph and his brothers. Both of them have a justifiable reason to be upset and angry with the others. But on the one hand, the brothers, they took offense. They lived with years of anguish, not knowing what happened to Joseph, um, that uh, they, they almost destroyed their father because of his heartbreak, thinking that Joseph was gone. On the other hand, you have Joseph, who was sold into slavery. He was falsely accused and put in prison as a slave. He was forgotten by the cupbearer, if you're familiar with the story, for two years. Two years go by after he said, hey, Remember to get me out of here. Two years go by before anything happens. If anyone had a right to be bitter against people and against God, it was Joseph. But he didn't drink the poison. So for me, the million dollar question is this. What made Joseph different from his brothers? Why was he able to pour out the poison where his brothers drank it? One person, you know, if you notice that some people, they're just this way. They're able to just kind of... Just push things aside, the offense. Just, it just kind of rolls off them. Their attitude is like, you know what? You know, life's too short to get upset. I mean, they just, like, it doesn't bother them. They don't do anything. Another person seems to have their entire life derailed by the entire offense. Like, for days, they can't focus on anything else because of what had happened. What separates the two? You know, the more and more I thought about it, it really comes down to, for me, one thing. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. When you forgive, you're not saying that what they did was okay. You're not excusing it. You're not justifying it. You're not saying it's okay. What you're doing is that you're releasing the outcome to God. And that's what Joseph did. Some point in time along the story of Joseph, we're not told where, but you, you look at throughout the story, Joseph doesn't, and then what place does he ever get bitter? I mean, he, he gets sold into slavery, but he rises up into to the leadership where he was essentially, he was in charge of, of Potiphar's whole household. You don't do that when you're angry and bitter and resentful. 
he was a lie, you know, he was framed, he was the, the false charges, and now he's put in prison, and yet that didn't make him bitter. You see, while he was in prison, he's still trying to help other people. He's still speaking good about things. And some point in time throughout this journey, I think it was probably when, he, and again, it's just my, me guessing, he sold to these traders and they're on their way down to Egypt. I think somewhere along the way, Joseph took stock and says, this isn't going where the way I thought life was going to go. I thought my life was headed on this path. It's not, it's this path. What my brothers have done to me is inexcusable. But God, you gave me a dream. And if this is truly your dream, it's up to you to make it come to pass. I don't have to deal with anything about it. I think when we can say, God, I can't control how others have treated me. However, I know you love me and want only the best for me. Please work this out for your glory. When we're able to come to that point and put that stuff behind, to able to actually forgive, we're able to pour out the offense or the poison of offense. And then this is the only way that we can actually find true freedom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for uh, the story of Joseph. I thank you for his life. Ah, God, I'm just amazed that he encountered what he did. To go up the environment he grew up in, um, he was the spoiled son. And I, even though there was animosity and I'm sure there was family strife, he still had a life that was pretty good. And you put a dream in his heart, Lord. It was not just his wishful thinking, but that you put something in his heart to let him know what was going on. I think, God, I think it was that dream that kept him going. That when things were difficult, when he's in slavery, when he was in prison, when all these other terrible things were happening, it was that dream you gave him that sustained him through those difficult times. And I pray, Father, that for some of us here, there might, we might be going through a very difficult time or there may be something in our past that still has a grip on us. Something that happened that has put our life on a path that we didn't want to be on. We didn't think we were going to be going down. God, I pray for those of us who might be in that place that we would be able to look back and remember the dream you put in our heart. The dream of what will be maybe not what is. And Father, may that dream sustain us and may that dream be able to allow us to forgive those who have offended and hurt us. May that dream allow us to let go of our present circumstances and look to you as the one who will bring us to the completion of that dream. So Father, we realize that we are human. You gave us emotions. And Father, some of us, struggle with those at times. God, I pray that you would help us this day to forgive when we need to forgive. And Father, to continue to put our hope and faith and trust in you for all things. In his name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.